Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. Focused on the family. We're looking at resources today. I want to start by doing something similar to what I did a few weeks ago, especially for those of us who are new or have just started coming to Gateway. On that Sunday, must have been, I don't know, four or five weeks ago, I spoke on the topic of speaking in tongues and prayer. And I began by bringing the perspective to the claim that it is sometimes made that all you Pentecostals do is jolly talk about tongues. All you do is tongues, 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 and there is nothing else. I don't know about elsewhere, but that was not true and isn't true of Gateway. And then I added to that particular message on that subject was the first time that we had spoken on it in and of itself in eight to ten years, just to bring perspective sometimes to those claims. Today, as we come and look at resources and finance from a focused on the family perspective, I can faintly hear the same cry that says, all churches talk about and all they want is your money, so typical. However, I would like to add another caveat and look to respond to this by saying that, again, this is not the case for us. You only need to be at Gateway for one week, morning or evening, to notice that we don't take up any offering. We don't take an offering in our gatherings. And when finance and giving is mentioned in the host's announcement, and this is really, we always refer to it as an issue of worship and discipleship. And again, in this same time span that I quoted of eight to ten years here at Gateway, we have taught on and urged generosity regularly. But on the matter of how we deal with our finances from a family perspective, we haven't done it at all in the last number of years. So if you're new this morning, we don't just go on about tongues and we don't go on about money all the time. So I just wanted to lay that foundation. So today I do want us to look at a challenging and provoking, but definitely a sensitive subject for some, at what it looks like to surrender our financial and material resources to the King and to God himself. How do we make our resources available for his kingdom as he desires to see it come here on earth and in New Zealand. I want to start by asking us all a question. What are the things that we talk about the most often? What are the things that you talk about the most often? If we were to do an analysis of our conversations that we have perhaps casually with people around us, what are the subjects that we return to time and time again. I seem to have noticed that if someone is getting married, then they tend to talk about their wedding or the plans or the seating arrangement all the time. If someone has just had a baby, then it's all about baby talk. If someone worships at the altar of their kids, then it seems that all they do is talk about the children and we haven't even got the grandparents yet. someone's value is based on their busyness. They talk about how busy they are all the time. 
You may know someone whose value in their own thinking is based on their responsibility or their role, so they talk to you about their job all the time. Often, we turn our conversations around to what matters the most to us. Next question. What did Jesus talk about most often? If we did an analysis of all the things that Jesus talked about, and remember, we just said that we talk about the things that matter the most to us. What were the hottest topics for Jesus in his conversations? Well, someone who is far more intelligent and far more dedicated than I am has gone through the words spoken by Jesus in the Gospels, and they will tell you, and they found that Jesus talks about two things most often. The number one thing he talked about, the most common topic of conversation was the kingdom, what life looks like for us when we live under the loving rule of our heavenly Father. The second most common topic of conversation for Jesus was money, how we use the resources that God has given us. So generally speaking, it is fair to say, Jesus, if Jesus wasn't talking about the kingdom, he was talking about money, and if Jesus wasn't talking about money, he was talking about the kingdom. And occasionally, he blended the two together. So today, I want us to look at kingdom resources and how we steward what God has given to us and how we steward this under the loving rules of a heavenly father and adopting his rules and his values and his principles. My guess is that some of you will automatically be concerned already because you might think this is just another message that will make me feel guilty about not giving enough or not giving at all. Please, don't be concerned. I probably need to reassure you today that at some stage we will talk about money. We will talk about finance. We will talk about some of those things and the dreams that we have, but it's not for today. What we are attempting to do in this message is not address this whole area from an intellectual or a purely financial exercise because we believe that the way we deal with the resources that God has given us are deeply, deeply spiritual. You see, the Bible is clear that the condition of our heart at the level we lived, live, I should say, a blessed life, the amount of influence we have in life, even the amount of eternal rewards we receive, even the depth of intimacy we have with our Heavenly Father is almost inseparably, inseparably linked to the way we manage our money. The handling of finance, the handling of His resources tells us so much about a lot of things. I may, as I said, make people nervous and concerned what I'm going to say, but please don't be. I want us to go on a journey for the next 20, 25 minutes, and hopefully one of discovery or one of reminder of what God does say to us about our resources and how we deal with this is so deeply spiritual. Today we're going to unpack three foundational beliefs as how we believe God, through his word, would have us deal with our money and material possessions. You see, one of the things I have noticed 40 years of being a pastor is that most people have a foundational belief about a variety of things, whether it be money or marriage or sex or parenting or dating. 
relationships or career. These foundational beliefs then go on without fail to shape their lives. But if I was to ask your foundational beliefs around money, many would find it hard to give me an answer. If I asked your foundational beliefs about marriage, and because we are good evangelical Christians, most would say it is ideally a lifelong commitment. If I asked the question about dating, most, if not all, would say dating is good, but there are certain boundaries that we have as Christians. So let's come back to money. How would we answer the question, what are our foundational beliefs about money? Perhaps many would say, I believe I should have more. My spouse spends too much. We need more cushions, so I need more money. My kids cost me the earth. Now, these are statements and comments about money, but they are not guiding principles and beliefs. So therefore, I want us to look at three foundational biblical beliefs in regards to money. Number one, God owns it all. Number two, we get the steward some of it. And thirdly, how I manage my money matters. Number one, God owns it all. We get the steward some of it. And thirdly, how I manage my money matters. The people of Israel had asked God for a king so that they could be like other nations. And therefore, reluctantly, God gave them Saul. Eventually, Saul is disobedient to God and is removed from that position, and David takes the throne. As David takes the throne, he builds his own palace, and as he looks at the temples of other nations and of other gods, he believes that in Jerusalem, he should build a permanent temple for God that reflects God's beauty and his greatness. So he begins to Occupy, uh, to employ architects. He begins to raise money and starts to put plans together for the building of this incredible temple. Then God speaks to David and says, you can't build the temple, my son, because you have blood on your hands. You are a warrior. So someone else has to do it. And David's son builds the temple. Even though David doesn't get to build the temple, he's not angry about it, and he continues to raise funds and make plans. And in the middle of this fundraising speech, David makes some great statements about money. And we're going to read a good chunk of 1 Corinthians 29, 1 Chronicles 29, I should say. I'm going to read the first 16 verses. It says these words, King David said to the whole assembly, my son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the temple will not be for mortals, but for the living God. So I have promised for the house of my God, as far as I am able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and the wood for the things of wood, besides, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones, 
and marble in abundance. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver, and because of my devotion to the house of my God, I will give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house and for all the work to be done by artisans, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating themselves today to the Lord? Then the leaders of the ancestral houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of the thousands and of the hundreds and the officers over the king's work. They gave to the service of the house of God and 5,000 talents and 10,000 darics of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Whoever had precious stone gave them to the treasury of the house and into the care of Jehiah the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because these had given willingly, for with single mind they had offered freely to the Lord. King David also rejoiced greatly. Then David blessed the Lord in the presence of the assembly. David said, Blessed are you, Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, are the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. And now, O God, we give thanks to you and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that, you should be able to, that we should be able to make this freewill offering? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are aliens and transients before you, as well as all our ancestors. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for your building, you are a house for, for you, a house for your holy name, comes from your hand and is all your own. There are three simple movements in this text. Firstly, David says that he's going to give out of his own personal wealth to the temple. I guess that as senior leaders, he sets an example. He doesn't expect other people to do what he doesn't want to do himself. Then in verses 6 to 9, the leaders follow the example of King David, and they continue to set an example. Then from verses 10 to 16, we get this statement of praise which teaches us some really important principles regarding our finances. This may come as a shock to some, but here is the principle. Everything belongs to God. God owns absolutely everything. Everything comes from him. David here in verse 11 says, everything in heaven and earth is yours. In verse 12, wealth and honor come from you. Verse 14, everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Then verse 16, comes, everything comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. Everything 
comes from God. Everything we have belongs to him. And when we give, we are only giving back what God has originally given to us because everything that we have, God owns. This may jar for some of us because some of us think that if we give 10% of our income to God or a token thereof to God's house or to God's work, then the rest belongs to us. If we tithe and give a sacrificial offering now and then, then whatever is left is mine. God gets what's off the top, then the rest is mine. David reminds us that everything belongs to God. He owns it all. Some of us may have learned something of this principle, (laughs) this idea in our childhood. I was, well, I still am, actually the youngest of three children. And being raised on a farm, we were fortunate to have a big old house, and we all had our own bedrooms. My brother had one, my sister had one, I had one, and my parents had theirs. And I believed that my room was my own. I never actually put a sign on the door that said, keep out, but that is what I believed and told my family. And of course, they smiled kindly, but I believed that my room was my own. But I soon and very quickly discovered that my parents could and did walk into my room whenever they wanted to. Irrespective of what I said or maintained, they felt free to walk into this room that wasn't theirs whenever they wanted to. And they also had the temerity to tell me to clean my own room when it was in a mess. Bless them. When we had random relatives or friends or missionaries come to stay with us, I got turfed out of my room. I was the youngest and they stayed there. And I quickly discovered that which I thought was mine and claimed to be mine, it really, really wasn't. But this continues when we get older too. Instead of having my room, we have my house. But we soon discover that if we stop paying the rent or paying the mortgage, it's not really our house at all. Because if we fail to pay, there will be some big, burly, bald guy on our doorstep asking for our house back. The Bible teaches us this principle quite clearly, that even though I think my money is mine, it really belongs to God. God owns it. We are not the owner of our resources. We are the managers of our resources. We are the stewards of them. God is the owner. We just get to manage the resources that he has given to us. This may be a horrific concept for many of us because it's my salary, my Kiwi saver, my pension, my house, my etc., my stuff. But the most foundational belief in understanding the concept around the kingdom and the coming of the kingdom of God in our areas of influence in this, nothing belongs to us. Everything belongs to the king. It is just on loan to us. And then God chooses to give us some of his resources for his purposes. Principle number one is God owns it all. Number two is that we just get the steward, some of it. And we'll see now in Matthew 25 that Jesus is looking at what life looks like in the kingdom 
And he is using a number of different parables that we understand. And in this parable, he helps us understand the relationship between God, who is the owner and the master, and us, who are the stewards of his resources. Matthew 25. <laughs> Again, it was like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the one who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with, many, with, with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered, scattered seed. So I was afraid and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For, who, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and they all lived happily ever after. <coughs> well, some of them did. Five things very quickly I want us to see. First of all, the master gives to his servant. Verse 14, the master gives to his servant. He doesn't just hang on to all his resources in one pot and give nothing to his servants. He entrusts his wealth to them, it says. He gives his resources to them and he expects them to deal with them wisely. See, Jesus is telling us this because he wants us to remember that our heavenly Father is incredibly, incredibly generous to us. He loves to give us in all the ways possible. It also means that not everyone gets the same, and we clearly read this in the text, but everybody gets something, but not everyone gets the same. But God is a generous God. Secondly, the master holds his servants accountable. So he hands over the bags of gold to them and doesn't say you can do whatever you like with them. It doesn't say that. 
It doesn't say just go and it's your money, do whatever you like. Here are five bags of gold, go do whatever you think. No, he expects the servants to manage the resources wisely. He holds them responsible for their stewardship. And when he returns, he settles account with them for what they have done with the resources. He will come back and he will make them accountable for what they have done with the resources. Is that an echo of a future event that is yet to happen? Jesus is telling us this because he wants us to understand that we cannot do anything we like with the resources he gives us. They have been given to us by his heavenly Father, and they should be used how our heavenly Father wants us to use them. Thirdly, the master looks for the servant's faithfulness. The master asks for faithfulness from his servants when he is thinking about how they should deal with his cash. I believe we have a strange relationship with the word faithful or the concept of faithfulness. I think as Christians we have a weird relationship with that word. Often we see faithfulness as a passive word. We use the word to to describe someone who just shows up faithfully. Oh, we've all got them in our groups. They're always there, they're always in church, they're always in connect group, they're always in whatever, and we call them faithful. In this parable, we could easily make an argument and say that the guy with one bag of gold, that he was faithful. He showed up, he hung on to the bag of gold, he buried it in the ground, and whilst he did not do anything with it, he did not lose it. And we would say, at least, good on him, he was faithful. Yet the text tells us that the master, the owner, says that he is incredibly lazy. Why? Because this is where the misunderstanding comes. Faithfulness is not passive. Faithfulness, when referenced in the Bible, is an active word. Faithfulness means accomplishing as much as possible with what God has given us. Faithfulness means accomplishing as much as possible with what God has given us. Being faithful does not mean we hoard our resources just in case a rainy day comes. It doesn't mean we bury our resources in a hole in the ground just in case the Lord may return. It requires us to put our resources to the work of the things that the master wants us to. I believe if we're going to steward his resources well and faithfully, then we need to have a clear understanding of the reason why our father gave us the things in the first place. And therefore, I would like to suggest that a really great prayer for us to to pray on a regular basis would be something like this, and I wrote it like down. It says, Thank you, Father, for being so generous to me. Now help me see what you want me to do with what you have given me. One of the reasons that I love this subject teaching is because I believe that our Heavenly Father loves it when we use His resources to express worship, to expand ministry, to take 
care of the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to expand his missional heart here on earth and use his resources to see his kingdom come and this world turned upside down for him. That we use these resources to say to God, God, I love you. That we use them as an expression of worship, to use these resources to provide for those who have less than us and to expand the kingdom here in the Waikato and across the world. Use his resources to express worship, expand ministry, and enlarge mission. I believe our Heavenly Father is looking as he gives to us our response. He's looking for our response, and he is looking for active faithfulness with the things that he has entrusted to us. Fourthly, the master is alarmed by the servant's fearfulness. The third servant buries his gold in the ground, And it says that he does this because he is afraid. The master comes back and tells him that he is wicked and he is lazy. I want us to understand today that stewardship is not just about what is given to us, but it is also about what is within us and what is inside of us. We can be rich on the outside, but we can be poor on the inside. And if we have a poverty and a fear of what this could bring to us, it prevents us from managing his resources faithfully. It's as much about the inside as what we're doing on the outside. This is why I've got no, this is what I think. This is why I think a lot of lottery winners across the world, time after time, lose their money. They get rich on the inside, but they're poor on the inside, and they don't know how to steward their lives and therefore their money, and they end up frittering it away. They have no concept of how to do things on the inside. I guess we probably see this all the time, people unable to steward what they have been given because of fear on the inside. I can't do what God wants me to do because the resources will run out. No, they won't. Or fear of that rainy day. You know, you've heard me say this. I, my parents, were, uh, we were born after World War II, and we always saved for this rainy day. And you've heard me say, we never had a day that was wet enough to release any of that money. <coughs> that is not enough to go around. Yes, there is. If we have fear in our hearts towards resources, then we will be living with and carrying a poverty spirit a tight-fisted approach to life and the kingdom because we think we're going to run out and there's not enough to go around and I must take care of myself, which is not kingdom. It is this fear that stops us from adopting the values of the kingdom, stepping in and giving and being generous in changing the world outside of us. Fifthly, how I manage my money matters. You'll have noticed that right at the end of the parable, there are two clear rewards for those servants who manage these resources faithfully. The first is more responsibility from the master, and the second is deeper intimacy with the master. I appreciate that in the Christian world, and rightly so, we are often nervous about using the words rewards or promotion Because promotion often smacks of selfishness or personal pride. But it does seem from this text that God loves to reward people whom he can trust. That's what the text, push you back to the text. So the responses we see to the two faithful servants is this. 
You have been faithful in a few things, but now I'm going to put you in charge of many things. I believe that if we are faithful in how we handle the small opportunities that God gives us, he will obviously provide us with greater opportunities. You see, Don and I often joke about this. People often come to us with great ideas for ministry, want to do this or they want to do that, or they want to come and prophesy from the front because they have the word of the Lord for the congregation. And we're not against any of that. But the question that we always ask ourselves is, where do they serve in the church? Where do they serve? What have they, what have they done? What are they doing in the small things? Have they been faithful in those? I believe the scripture in Jesus teaches us that if we are faithful with small amounts of money, if we handle our money in God-honoring ways, with kingdom principles, God often entrusts us with more. You see, I really believe that often he uses the way we handle money as a test to see if we can handle things in the kingdom that are far more important than money. He can trust us with true riches and kingdom responsibilities. We see from the text that if we steward his resources well, it results in more responsibility from the master. Also, we see that it results in deeper intimacy with the master. We'd like to suggest that this is what we all want for each other. As a father, as a husband, as a grandfather, my number one prayer for my family is that they will know God intimately. And it is my prayer for each and every one of us above all else that our relationship with the master is deepened when we steward our resources well and as he desires. See, in the text, we will notice that the two faithful servants are invited into the master's presence because they steward the resources well. It says, come share with my happiness. See, the ultimate, the ultimate reward for financial faithfulness and dealing with his resources well is not more resources from the master. That's what prosperity gospel teaches us. But the ultimate reward in a deeper relationship is with him. That's the reward. We get it the wrong way around. We give, so we want more money, or we get more money. That's what we hear so often. Nonsense. It's not biblical. The reality is, when we do those things well and we respond with kingdom principles, we have a deeper intimacy and something of a dynamic and a closer walk with him. That's what we want it for. That's what we all want. To share in his joy. The very fact that we are here today or are listening on podcast indicates that inherent within us is a desire to have a deeper relationship with him. And I know that how I handle my resources, kindly given to me, actually contributes to the death of relationship that I have with him. Dealing with or handling our resources is not simply an academic practical test, it is so much deeper. So as we are focused on the family here at Gateway, I want us to see that finance and resources are something deeply spiritual. It is not just something practical or academic or a less than subtle ruse to get more money. It is something that profoundly affects our relationship with our Heavenly Father and the amount of responsibility he passes on to us. We are passionate about these things. Musicians, please come and join me.
wish to close <laughs> with a final perspective. My longing as a follower of Christ is to constantly work on and deal with sin in my life because I know that it's God's desire for me to deal with sin in my life. To echo David's words, create in me a clean heart, O Lord. But this desire is not because I'm afraid of what he will do to me when I sin, but rather what he won't be able to do through me if I don't deal with sin in my life. Let me say that again. My longing is to constantly work on these things because this desire is not because I'm afraid of what God will do to me if I sin and when I sin, but rather what he won't be able to do through me if I don't deal with sin in my life. And the parallel here with today's subject is the same. See, I want to learn and then live out what he says about and expects me to do with the resources he has given me. Because I don't want to miss out on what he wants to do through me for others and, what he, and how he wants me to impact lives for him and see his kingdom come. That's the greatest joy. This side of eternity is to be about his business and to see his kingdom come on my terra firma, on my area of remit, where I live. It's a lesson that I want us all to learn and to grasp afresh. And we will continue next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.